Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, as I said, we're starting a new series this morning uh, that I've entitled Face to Face. And I just wanted to say at the outset This is a very different kind of series, uh, especially for me, because this is a very personal series. It very much is the overflow of almost everything that God's been doing in my life and in my heart over the last year and a half. And, And it all started with a particular ache. Now, if you think about it, to be human is to ache. We ache physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and even spiritually. And there's one ache that is certainly shared by all people in all places at every point in history. It's the ache of physical hunger. We all know that that feeling in our stomach that says, like, I need to eat something right now. The ache of hunger is so constant, it can only be satiated temporarily. I remember this one Thanksgiving. I can't remember if I told you this story or not, but, but this one Thanksgiving, I ate to the point that I could barely move by bedtime. And I know we all overeat at Thanksgiving, but this was like next level. I'd never experienced anything like this. I'm not even exaggerating. I was so full. I started having these severe chest pains that were bad enough that I was bent over beside my bed, literally wondering if I needed to go to the ER. And I was, I was, I was in that kind of pain that results in making deals with God. You ever been there? So you start to have these thoughts like, Lord, I I really don't want to die tonight lying next to my bed because I was drinking gravy like it was the very source of life. If you help me feel better, Lord, I promise I will never eat like that again. And I understand how ridiculous that sounds, but that's how full I was and that's how much pain I was in. It was not pretty. And so I I remember climbing into bed that night and genuinely thinking that there was no way I would ever be hungry again. But then the strangest thing happened. When I woke up the next morning, that all too familiar ache of hunger returned. To be human is to ache. And so a couple of years back, I started to experience an ache of a different kind that I also could not seem to satisfy. It was an ache that probably started when I was young, but became impossible to ignore as I got older. And so let me just back up for those of you that don't know me very well to my beginning and explain the origin of this particular ache in my life. Uh, My early years, like many of yours, were marked by immense trauma. My biological dad abandoned me, my younger brother, and my mom to go start a new family when I was just three years old. And so when that happened, uh, my mom and my brother and I moved from Oregon down to Northern California to be closer to my grandfather. And then just two years later, after decades of this deep and intense struggle with depression that would not relent, my grandfather took his own life, becoming now the second father figure to leave this hole in my heart that, to be honest, I still feel to this day. 
But one bright spot in all that trauma was that my mom remarried and I was adopted by her new husband and my now dad. And, and, and that was amazing, but you know, like we were still a blended family that had to deal with all of the challenges that come with that, in addition to dealing with issues of mental illness in our family and a few very traumatic years. Now, thankfully, my parents were exceptionally faithful at getting us to church every single Sunday. And so I, I came to faith at a very young age, and I have walked with God for the vast majority of my now 40 years. And I tell you all this background for three reasons. Number one, I want you to know at the outset of this series that I have been through my fair share of pain. Like these few painful events from my early childhood, they barely scratched the surface of what was a rich but but admittedly traumatic childhood. I've experienced loss. I've experienced abandonment, deep disappointment, and abuse. I am familiar with with suffering. My life hasn't been like all care bears and sunny days. I've been through a lot and my guess is you have too. Now the specifics of our past trauma probably differs, but when it comes to the presence of pain, you and I share that in common. So I want you to know I've, I too have been through my share of pain. But the second thing I really want you to know is I've been walking with Jesus for quite some time now. Like I share that backstory because I want you to know this relationship with Jesus that we're going to be talking about so much. It's not new to me. I have walked with Jesus for a long time. I've also been serving in vocational ministry like this in some way for almost 20 years now. I've been a worship pastor. I've been an associate pastor. I've been a lead pastor. I've planted two churches. I pastored a large existing church. And my point in all that is just to say, I am serious about my relationship with Jesus, and I have put considerable effort into it. And that is what makes my third point so confusing to me personally. I've learned that you can follow Jesus sincerely for a very long time and still lack anything that feels like deep intimacy with him. And so in early 2019, I started to experience a new ache that I mentioned at the start. And again, this ache was not a physical hunger. It was a deeply spiritual one. I began to ache for deeper intimacy and communion with God. Now, I know sometimes the word intimacy makes us very uncomfortable and brings to mind all kinds of confusing and and varying images. And so let me just simply say that what I mean by aching for intimacy was that I was aching to know God more, Not, not just know about him theologically, but to actually know him more. I wanted to see his face more clearly. I wanted to hear his voice more unmistakably and to feel his love more profoundly. See, somewhere along the way in life, I began comparing my own experience with God to the experience of the biblical giants that I was reading about. People like Moses and Hannah, David and Mary, these people that I've been hearing about and reading about for so long. And so a couple of years ago, I started to observe what felt like an ocean of difference between their experience with God and my own. 
And I, I've been reading the Bible since I was like a little kid. And so these stories that I was reading, again, were not new to me. But for some reason, all these years later, I was struck for the first time by how close these people seemed to God. They talked about him in a way that I did not. They heard from him in ways that I did not. And if I'm honest, they seemed to love him in a way that I did not. I mean, just take Exodus 33, 11, for instance, where I've drawn the name for this series. Exodus 33, 11 says this, the Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. I just think about that for a second. Moses got to talk to God as a friend face to face. And, and, and listen, I understand I'm not Moses, right? Like Moses had a very unique relationship with God. Moses had a very unique role in God's story. I understand I'm not Moses. I'm just saying that I was in a season when I couldn't even recall the last time that God genuinely felt near to me, much less anything resembling authentic friendship. And so in response to this ache, I did what many of us do in this situation. I like doubled down on my devotional life. And so I read my Bible more. I tried to pray more. I brushed the dust off of my journal and started to, to write more. But even these attempts to rekindle what once felt like this furious flame just seemed like going through the motions. And it was in the angst of this that I started to feel the ache. In that season of aching, one specific question surfaced over and over and over again. And that question was this, what do I have to do to get more of God? What do I have to do to get more of God? And I wonder if you might be in a situation where you're having that question in your life right now. Like, what do you have to do to get more of God? Maybe you see and sense this ocean of difference between what other people seem to experience in relationship with God and what you do. And man, I don't know about you, but this longing really showed up in my prayer life. Like many people, my, my prayer time largely consisted then of me informing God of my perceived needs. And so every day I'd pray my list. I'd pray for myself. I'd pray for Tammy. I'd pray for our kids. I'd pray for my friends and family. I'd pray for our church. Yet no matter how much I prayed, I just felt like I kept hitting this sizable wall. And I had a few days for real, like after these times of prayer, where I genuinely thought if I never did that again, I would be okay. Like prayer's never been easy for me. Maybe prayer comes super easy for you. It's never come real easy for me, but I've never experienced a season when the pull to not pray felt so strong. And that prompted two questions in my mind, or two thoughts in my mind simultaneously. First, I thought, man, I, I can't keep doing this. Following Jesus had ceased feeling like a relationship, and it was becoming little more than religious motions that I was performing out of mere obligation. And I disdained the way that felt, and I knew it was not sustainable. And then secondly, I thought, man, there must be more than this. Because I saw an expression of, my, of relationship with God in the scriptures that was so different from my own, I did have a sense of curiosity and hope that things could be different. And as I would come to find out, there was more. 
There was, there is a depth of intimacy with God that I had not experienced. And he was already gently directing me down that path. It just turned out that the path was very different than I would have ever predicted. See, in addition to that ache that I was feeling for deeper intimacy with God, my inner life, right? Like sometimes we talk about our inner life, like specifically my emotional life at that very same time that I had spent a lifetime learning to suppress and to block, it all began to leak out completely outside of my control. And I'll tell you this, it's both a sad and a funny story, but it it really peaked one evening during family movie night, which is a weekly ritual in our life during COVID. It's been like a daily ritual, but usually we have, you know, family movie night at least once a week. And so on this particular night, I decided to introduce my kids to the movie, The Parent Trap, which maybe you've seen. Um, if you're not familiar with it, the plot of the movie is pretty simple. It's a story of these two twin sisters whose parents divorced when the girls were babies. And so they were raised separately, but then they just happened to end up at the same summer camp as teenagers, and they discover the truth of their sisterhood. And so then they concoct this crazy scheme that involves switching places and going home to the parent they'd lived with, they, they'd lived without, all in hopes of reigniting the fire of romance between their parents redeeming the failed marriage, and once again being the family they were meant to be. Now, having experienced the pain of divorced parents myself personally, this story held deep, albeit unconscious, appeal for me. Like, I don't think that we were 20 minutes into this movie, which, man, when I was a kid, I probably saw this movie a hundred times. And so I don't think we were 20 minutes into this movie last year, a couple years ago, when it started to happen. I started to experience what I can only describe as like a full-scale emotional breakdown. As I watched this movie, I so vividly remember, I started to cry uncontrollably. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. I wasn't like teary-eyed. I was totally melting down. And so it was so bad, I had to like pull the hood of my sweatshirt up over my face and turn away from my kids so they didn't have to watch and worry in confusion and concern as their dad unraveled in front of them. Thankfully, I was able to compose myself and make it through the rest of the movie, but that night I went to bed clear on at least one thing. Something was happening inside of me that I could no longer control. Now, I'm I'm no psychologist, but I think it's pretty safe to say that when Lindsay Lohan movies provoke an emotional breakdown in a grown man, he probably has some problems lurking below the surface. And so thankfully, one of my closest friends who is in fact a psychologist confirmed as much for me the next day. And uh, together we agreed it was probably time for me to get some therapy and to dig in both to what was happening in me then, as well as what had happened to me when I was young. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that right now, but I want to jump ahead to two significant lessons that God has taught me through this last couple of years. The first is this, the unprocessed pain of the past will eventually invade the present. If you're taking notes this morning, I really want you to write that sentence down. The unprocessed pain of the past will eventually invade the present. See, often when we experience severe loss or we endure traumatic seasons of suffering, we survive by learning to block out that pain in various ways, which we're going to talk more about next week. 
And much of this is mission critical in life, especially when we experience any degree of trauma as children. As kids, we don't have the cognition to fully process what we experience. And so we learn to block the difficult parts in a way that enables us to move forward. And I want you to know, part of this is grace. God has given humans an incredible degree of resilience. And so we can endure immense difficulty and we can continue to function. The problem is blocking pain is not the same as processing it. The pain that we block doesn't disappear. It just goes dormant for a season. And then one night, it all comes spilling out during a Disney movie with your kids. Now, you may not be there yet, but I, but I promise you, it's coming. And even if you don't begin to unravel in all the same ways that I did, I guarantee that unprocessed pain has produced unhealthy patterns in your emotional stewardship and your relationships with others. Any, with others, any pain of the past that we don't properly process will eventually invade the present. Now, the second and the far more unexpected lesson that God is still teaching me is this. The pain we're avoiding is the very path to intimacy with God. The pain we're avoiding is the very path to intimacy with God. Now, don't get me wrong, we certainly will not experience anything resembling intimacy with God apart from spending quality time with him. So prayer and scripture and repentance and worship and fasting, the host of other spiritual disciplines, they're all critical components to one's pursuit of God. But the truth is, you can practice spiritual disciplines and still not experience deep communion with God. Now, in addition to these important practices, again, like prayer, scripture, repentance, worship, fasting, in addition to those practices, we also have to learn to invite God into the things that we feel, specifically the hard and hurtful parts of our lives. We have to learn to ask God to invade our pain. Now, having spent the better part of my life reading and studying the Bible, you'd think I would have caught on to the importance of this so much sooner because emotions are everywhere in the Bible. I mean, think about the array of difficult emotions described or displayed just in the Psalms alone. I won't read all of them to you, but, but here's just a few. In Psalm 4-4, we see anger. The psalmist says, be angry and do not sin. In Psalm 6, verses 6 and 7, we see sadness. The psalmist says, I am weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. In Psalm 25, 16, we find loneliness. Turn to me, the psalmist says, and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. We see anxiety in Psalm 38, 18. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. We see discouragement in Psalm 42, 5. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? We see embarrassment in Psalm 44, 15. We see pain in Psalm 69, 29. And, and the truth is emotions are certainly not isolated to the Psalms. Consider even just for a second, a brief survey of Jesus' earthly life. He was no stranger to emotion, including those that we would prefer to shy away from. 
I mean, as we ex- would expect, we know that Jesus felt joy. We see that in places like John 15, 10 to 11. He felt compassion. He felt love, but he also felt anger. Go read Matthew 21, verse 12. He felt frustration. Read Matthew 17, 14 to 20. He felt sorrow in John eleven thirty five, and overwhelming stress in Luke twenty two forty two. My point in all of this is just to say that emotions fill the scriptures. They fill the life of Jesus and they fill my life and yours. And so the question is never, will I feel emotions? The question is, what will I do with the emotions I do feel? And broadly speaking, I think we have three options. We can block them, which again is what we'll talk about next week. We can, number two, allow them to sort of run our lives, which I don't think any of us really want. Or thirdly, we can invite God into them. And this third option is where true intimacy with God is formed. Asking God to invade our emotional life invites him in to the most deeply felt parts of who we are. And this explains why cutting him out of our emotions, particularly the difficult ones, has such a stunting effect on the growth of our relationship with him. Like, imagine if I made this mistake with Tammy. Think about a marriage or any relationship for that matter, where one party locked away all the things they felt most deeply, refusing to allow others to see them, uh, refusing to allow other people to understand them or to experience them. Now, that kind of relationship may be a lot of things, but it won't be one that is marked by intimacy. See, intimacy is the result of sharing the unfiltered fullness of who I am with someone. So that means the good and the bad parts. It means the pretty and the ugly parts. It means allowing someone to see the parts that I'm proud of and the parts that I'm ashamed of. That is where intimacy is formed, and never is this more true than our relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. So you know what this means? It means a lot of things, but one thing it means is that there is nothing we feel that Jesus has not felt. Like not only has he felt everything we've ever felt, but he's also felt it perfectly, which means his sadness never devolved into hopelessness. His anger never resulted in seeking personal revenge. His stress didn't lead him to seek destructing coping mechanisms. Jesus felt everything we feel, and he felt it all perfectly. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 teaches us that this experience in Jesus' life poses a life-changing invitation to you and me. Verse 16 says, therefore, meaning because Jesus is our great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, having been tempted in every way we are, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, did you, did you catch that? We are invited to boldly storm the throne of Jesus in search of help because he understands what we're going through. He has been where we have been. He has felt what we have felt. He has been abandoned, 
betrayed, lied about, disappointed, abused, and rejected. Jesus has felt misunderstood. Jesus has felt alone, and he has felt overwhelmed. Jesus is no stranger to pain, and he wants to meet you, and he wants to meet me in the midst of ours. The question is, will we step out with the courage necessary to meet him there? And so as we get ready to close this morning, I just wonder if I'm not the only one in a season where I find myself thinking, man, there must be more. Now, the circumstances that God has used to create that ache in you are most likely different than the ones he's used in me. But what we share in common is the ache, the desire for more of God. But here's something I want you to really consider and reflect on throughout the rest of this week. What if the answer to the ache isn't just getting more of God, but giving God more of you? Think about that for a second. What if the answer to the ache isn't just getting more of God, but giving God more of you? What if the difference between those who experience uncommon intimacy with God and those who don't isn't God's desire to give more of himself to some than others, but a willingness to give more of oneself to God? What if it's that, that, that these people that seem to experience such deep communion with God are actually just willing to give the heaviest and hardest parts of themselves to him? What if the very pain that you are avoiding is the path to intimacy with God? That has been my story, and I have a hunch that it might be yours as well. And so as we stand together at the beginning of this journey, I want to close by promising you three things. Number one, I promise you this journey will be at times uncomfortable. Growth is rarely comfortable. It requires straining, stretching, sometimes even breaking specific strongholds that have kept us stuck where we are. And so when you feel that discomfort as we make our way through this series, I don't want you to assume that something is wrong. God is working in that. Old ways are dying so that a new season can come alive in you. But before resurrection, there has to be death. So I just want you to embrace the discomfort with me. It's not going to kill you. Don't resist it. Don't fight it. You can acknowledge it. Ask God for strength in the midst of it and then just simply let it be. Promise number two is you're not alone. Listening this morning may have triggered some very hard emotions inside you. You might feel anxious and overwhelmed. You might be thinking like, you know what? I'm going to check back in in a few weeks when you're all done with this series. You might feel isolated and alone right now. I know many of us feel that. And if that's the case, man, do not forget God's very spirit is the one that has drawn you to this place and orchestrated this ache inside you. He's not going to leave you, not for one moment of this uncomfortable journey. And then finally, promise number three is this, deeper intimacy with God awaits you. In the midst of this disruptive process, you're going to realize something amazing. There is a deeper experience of God's very presence than you knew possible. The very presence of this ache for more of God implies that it is possible to satisfy. 
And I'm here to tell you from experience that it very much is. God loves you so much more than you know. And he is closer than you can possibly imagine. He is more trustworthy than you've given him credit for. And he has no desire to shame you or shun you. He isn't playing hard to get or asking you to prove yourself. Instead, he's with you now. His arms are open to you and he smiles over you. And he is smiling because he knows what is on the other side of what feels to you like this great obstacle. And so listen to his loving voice this morning in your ache for more. I promise you won't regret it. Let me pray for us. Father, I, <clears throat> I thank you that you created us for relationship. You created us to be one with you. And you created us to be one with each other. So you created us for relationship. And, and Lord, we, we do desire more of you because oftentimes, because we don't see you in the way that we see one another and we don't hear you all of the time in the way that we hear another person that we talk to, Lord, just sometimes it doesn't always feel like we're in a relationship with you. And it doesn't feel like we have communion with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, in the way that only you can, that you would walk us into deeper communion and deeper intimacy with you. And Lord, if there's anyone watching this morning or listening who, who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken their heart to faith. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that, that though sin has separated them from you, that you, Jesus, gave your own life on a cross and that you died and rose again to create a way for them to be one with you again. So Lord, would you give them faith in you and help them to follow you and to take that first step toward you and into communion with you. Lord, we all want to know you more. We want to see your face more clearly and we want to hear your voice more distinctly in our lives. So I pray that you would walk us along this journey. And Lord, we pray that we would learn like Moses to speak with you as a friend. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.